Let's go for just a moment. Let's pick this back up. Two weeks ago, I preached a sermon to you. Can anybody tell me what I preached? I'm waiting. And it wasn't Father's Day. Psalm 122 is when I come back from vacation. Psalm 122, David said, I was glad when they said unto me. Now you're remembering it, right? I knew I had to help you along the way a little bit. I was glad when they said unto me. It's a psalm. It's a song. We sing it. We pray it. We think about it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I hope that you're glad when you get this opportunity. Right? And I related to you the context from which that psalm was written. And I'm going to kind of pick up that theme for just a few moments here today, if I can. I'm going to share with you a couple. We're going to read very briefly some scriptures because I want to go back to that thought for a moment. David was rejoicing in this moment to have an opportunity to come. He said, with the tribes of Israel for collective worship. I think it's a very special thing that God gives us as a people an opportunity to worship him collectively. Now, that means in a congregational setting, every one of us are privileged with the opportunity to be able to worship God devotionally in your prayer closet, along the way, in your private time. You just, you know, get alone in your bedroom and you, come on. I know your worship is not limited to this hour and a half to two to two and a half hours on a Sunday morning at First Assembly. However, I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I have to join my voice. He said, when the tribes go up together. Come on, we come together in this moment. Because ancient Israel was a pattern that God has used historically in the Word of God to teach even the New Testament church. And I'm going to read, and they're going to post them on the screen, and I'll try to read them with you if I can there, about that place that Moses is referencing in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, remember, the book of Deuteronomy is the fifth of the, of, the, of the books of the law. It is the last exhortation of Moses before they go into the promised land. But the book of Exodus is when Israel had just freshly come out of Egyptian bondage. As a matter of fact, the first verse of Scripture that we're going to read is in Exodus 15, the 17th verse. And this is as Israel are worshiping God for uh, the victory at the Red Sea. That God has triumphed, overthrowing Pharaoh and all of his armies in the Red Sea. This, this is a passage of Scripture where Moses and the children of Israel, they're singing a song. They're praising God. They're worshiping. And through it, a prophecy is made through this psalm. The 17th verse, 15th chapter, it's on the screen. It says, Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance. Look at this. There it is. In the, in the place, O Lord which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. So now this is to be distinguished from later instruction. So let me go with you for just a moment. Israel is rejoicing immediately because the waters of the Red Sea have closed. They are now delivered from Egypt. They're cut off. The Egyptians cannot swim through the Red Sea to get to them. They are now free. Come on, somebody. It's a special place to be made free by, come on, the power of Christ. Made free. So they're free, they're celebrating, but God gives them a promise and says that you're not where I want you to go just yet. There's a place that I'm going to take you to. And when we get to that place, he said, there's going to be a sanctuary and I'm going to meet you there. So it's a prophecy of where, when they would get into the land, they would take possession of the land. Now, from there, they eventually journeyed. It took them 40 days to journey to the base of Mount Sinai where God had met Moses at 
several months earlier at the burning bush. And it was there that they heard the audible voice of God, the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy relate that account. It's very famous in Israel when the children of Israel heard God's voice speaking out of the fire, out of the mountain that shook and burned. Everybody's familiar with that passage of Scripture? And it was from there that they began to receive instructions. And in the 25th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, here's another context. We need to read it just quickly today. It's going to help us. We're going to go there. I think it's in, did I say in, in Deuteronomy? Excuse me. It's in Exodus 25, isn't it? Put the next one on there. Right there. Thank you. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So now, the ninth verse, according to that, all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Let me try to distinguish from you. The prophecy said, I'm going to take you to a place. It's going to be on a mountain. I'm going to make that my sanctuary. But you're not there yet. But he said, but I want to be with you through this whole process. I want to go with you through the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows of the wilderness experiences. But on the seventh day, does anybody remember this in Sunday school? On the seventh day, they walked seven times and on the seventh time the, the the priest sounded a trumpet and when they sounded the trumpet in the presence of the ark of God which represented the presence of God no wonder the psalmist would say later in Psalm 97 that the mountains melt like wax at the presence of God because on that day at the presence of God when the trumpet sounded in the presence of the ark of the covenant of God where God abode the walls of Jericho fell down as flattened by an invisible an invisible hand that pushed them down and they they came, the armies of Israel came through and took the city. The power of God. So now, it's an exciting time. So Israel, so I'm taking you on a journey and I want you to see. So for the next several uh, years, what you see in the journey is that the tabernacle oftentimes is in one location and the ark is at another location. The, the tabernacle would eventually settle at Shiloh. It settled, it settled at Shiloh because the ark was captured by the Philistines due to the apostasy of Israel and the apostasy of Eli the priest. You will read that in the book of 1 Samuel. That's where we get the term Ichabod. The glory of God has departed because the ark of God was taken captive by the Philistines. But when they got the ark of God, they made the mistake of opening the lid and looking inside. And when they opened the lid and looked inside, thousands of men died and thousands of men got hemorrhoids. You think I'm making this up, people? Read the Word of God. So the Philistines said, somebody needs to get rid of that. Send it back from where it came. So they put it on a cart and they sent it. Nobody even manned the cart. God manned the cart. And it made its way back to the land of Israel. And they took it and they held it in a different location for several years. Now, during that time, though, the tabernacle was set up at Shiloh. So we see here at this particular time, the tabernacle is here, but the ark of God is over here. During this time, eventually Saul is named king. During this time, Saul, while in his kingship, he doesn't seek after the ark of God. But in your familiarity with this story, David is before he even becomes king, David, when he is running as a fugitive from Saul, he, uh, his, the first place he goes to for aid and strength and help is to the tabernacle. The tabernacle is not at Shiloh yet. It's at Nob. But they were able to save the tabernacle and they relocated it to, to Shiloh. David then becomes king. One of the first things that David is desiring for his kingdom is he wants the presence of God. 
Come on, somebody. He said, man, we got to have the presence of God. And I tell you, you can, make, you can have the right motive and do the wrong thing. I feel free in here today, so I'm just going to be free. And so he had the right motive. So he said, you know what? And for the whole time Saul was king, we didn't seek after the Lord at the ark. And he said, so let's get the ark. So you know what he did was he borrowed the pattern that the Philistines had used to send the ark back to Israel. He said, let's get a new cart. Let's get new you know, oxen and that are freshly trained. And let's, he said, and we're going to have all this fanfare. And they sung and they worshiped and they're pulling that ark. They've gone up. They've got it. They're bringing it out. You know the story. They got to a certain place in a valley. One of the oxen stumbled. When it did, the ark slid on the cart. And a man by the name of Uzzah reached his hand out. He's a priest to steady the ark lest it fall. And when he did, the fire of God fell and he was struck. And he died right there. And when he died, David, who David was out here like this. Whoa, you're talking about bringing a worship service to a screeching halt. And the Bible says at that moment, David was afraid. They was afraid of God, and he didn't know what to do, so he quickly retreated back to Jerusalem that he had made his habitation. And he just said, we got it. And, and he said, I don't know. And so they took the ark into the house of Obed-Edom. And it stayed in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Bible says that God blessed the house of Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom had made a place for it. He was a priest, and he was thankful to have the presence of God. Listen, thank God for his presence. Come on, somebody. You have your presence, the presence of God in your living room. Obed-Edom's got the presence of God, and David is zealous for it. He wants the presence of God in Jerusalem. And so then, you know what he did? He went to the book, and he found out that though his motive was right, God had order. I'm telling you, the God you serve is the God of order. Let me say this. I've said it to you countless times since I've been the pastor of First Assembly. This is not Burger King. You cannot have it your way. This is God's way. He's the king of all the earth, and we must bend our will, our aspirations, our desires to his will that we might serve him and come on in a clear conscience. That's the only way that you're going to be who God's called you to be. He found out that it didn't matter how new the cart was, didn't matter how trained the oxen were. The ark was never to set on a new, on a new cart or be pulled by oxen. It was to rest upon two staves on the shoulders of four priests who would carry the ark. And this time, they went back and got the ark of God, and they're singing and dancing and what a sight it must have been because here came the presence of God journeying down the road with worship and aspiration and songs and celebration and people are excited because they hadn't experienced a moment like this. I don't know about you but I got a new stirring in my spirit. I believe the presence of God is heading back to the church. I know there has been a downtime, but I'm telling you God is at work. He's on the move. God's on the move and I believe he's going to bring a new wave of his glory and he's going to re-even visit here at First Assembly of God. I believe that with all of my heart. It's the power of his presence. But as this story kind of unfolds, and for the sake of time, I may have to alleviate some of it for just a moment of time. So during this time, I want you to see, I was going to post all these scriptures, but if I do, I may not have time to cover it all. But just real quickly, so now we have, go back to the next picture if you would, if you can, Phil. This is what an artist has rendered, what he thinks it might have looked like on or in the city of Jerusalem because the Bible says that David pitched a tent for it. So in Jerusalem, Mount Zion, somewhere they've pitched a tent for the ark of God. But the tabernacle, remember the tabernacle? The tabernacle's at Shiloh. The tabernacle is where the brazen altar was. The tabernacle is where the brazen labor, that's where the priest was. But remember Psalm 122. Psalm 122 celebrates not going up to Shiloh. It celebrates going up to Jerusalem. 
He said, I was glad when they said unto me, because let me tell you this right here, it doesn't matter where the building is, it doesn't matter what the building looks like. If it doesn't have the presence of God, then it's not the house of God. So David said, not necessarily the tabernacle, David said it's here inside the city of Jerusalem because that's where the presence of God is. And so he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But a little bit later in David's life, David had an experience that was his fault, and it was the judgment of God. But David sinned. He numbered Israel. And when he did, God sent a prophet by the name of Gad, and he said, you can, he said you're going to receive judgment at the hand of God. He gave him three choices, kind of like a parent saying, I can give you a whipping today, or, or you can choose uh, grounding, or you can choose sitting in the corner. At my house, often it would be over all three. No, it wasn't. I'm just saying. I would usually go to the whooping and just kind of stay right there. But nonetheless, David said, as he weighed these in the balance, as you read this, you think I'm making this up. It's in the Bible. And so he, he said, if I fall into the hands of men, men are evil, but God is merciful. So he said, let me fall into the hands of God. And for three days, the angel of God walked through the city of Jerusalem until like 70,000 men died and perished. And it was a, I, I don't know, it, it had to be a visual thing because the Bible says that David could see the angel of the Lord. And he was standing over the floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And he saw him with his sword. And God said, I'm now merciful. Put your sword up. And he put his sword in his sheath, but he still stood there in the, at the threshing floor. And then an angel told the prophet Gad. Now, this is very important, very important, because we're about to read this in a moment. We've got to go to this passage of Scripture here. He said, I want you to tell, go tell David to go to the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite and there build an altar. And this is a very critical moment in the journey for us to discover the place. Okay? Are you all with me? Stay with me for just a few moments. Don't let me wear you out. So let's read, if we can, Phil, First Chronicles 21 Verses 26 through 30 and 1 Chronicles 22 and 1. Let's try to read that together if we can for just a moment of time. Here in the 21st verse. And David there, he went, just like I said, and he built there an altar unto the Lord God. And he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. Now, this is, I'm going to get ahead of myself. So let me just read it down. 27th verse. Let's go all the way through the third. And so the Lord commanded the angel. He put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. 28th verse. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there. 29th verse. For the tabernacle, here it is, the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made, had been moved to Gibeon by now, and the altar of the burnt offering were at that season in the high place at Gibeon. 30th verse. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of God. So let's pause. We've got to just jump in real quickly. I want you to see this. I'm going to come down because I know this already. I'm gonna, I don't have to have notes. I already know this. Um, but I, and I want you to feel this moment with me here today. So David then... The reason why he didn't go, he wanted to go where? He wanted to go to Gibeon because that's where the tabernacle was. Why did he want to go to the tabernacle? He had the ark. He wanted to go to the tabernacle because that's where the brazen altar was. Because God had said, you can't offer sacrifice under every hill. 
You can't offer it on every hill or under every tree. You only offer it where I tell you. Where did I tell you? On the brazen altar. That's the only place. That was at Gibeon. He's got the presence of God at Jerusalem. But now the angel of the Lord has whispered to him and said, you tell David to go and build an altar. So David went and built an altar and he slayed an animal and he laid it on the altar. But there's no fire to consume the sacrifice because nowhere in Scripture has it ever been recorded that the people of Israel ever lit a fire on the altar that it was the brazen altar at the tabernacle. They were dependent upon the fire of God to fall upon the sacrifice and to consume the sacrifice and then to maintain the fire. But he can't go to the altar because he's afraid because the angel's judging him and judging the nation. And so he builds the altar reluctantly, not knowing he slays an animal, puts it on there. He doesn't know what is about to take place, but all of a sudden the fire of God falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. God heard his prayer and God sent the fire, consumed the sacrifice and David knew, wait a minute, this is the prophetical fulfillment of what Moses said in Exodus 20, uh, Exodus 15, hundreds of years earlier, when I get you into the land that I'm going to take you to, I'm going to choose a place, I'm going to put my name there and when I do, he said, then I'm going to call that the house of God. So David, who's walking in the prophetical unction of God, knows this is that moment that Moses had prophesied and he said this is the house of God and David said from that time forward the rest of the tenure of his leadership he began to gather resources y'all stay with me stay with me gather resources for the building of the temple now you and I know he was not allowed to build the temple because he shed a lot of blood correct but in doing so his son Solomon was chosen to do what to build the temple. And so upon his death, he immediately began to build the temple. Seven years it took to build the temple. And when the seven years were completed, there was a special day to dedicate the temple of God. And when they did, it was a monumental day. But they had two things they had to do first. Fred, you know what they had to do? First, they had to go to the tabernacle. And they said, we need the brazen altar. We need the brazen laver. We're going to put it back where it belongs. He had built steps for it and put it there. So they went and got it. And they got the instruments. They folded the tabernacle up. you got to know when God says fold something up because i got something new. Come on, somebody. So they folded one thing up and they got ready to embrace the other. But then they said, it's not enough to have an altar. It's not enough to have a laver. we got to have the presence of God. Oh, I feel Jesus in here today. We've got to have the, we can't just go through the motions. We can't just have sacrifice. We've got to have God among us. So then they went to the tabernacle that David pitched in Mount Zion, which is just down the road. It's not very far, right there. And they brought the ark of God and they set it in its place. And when they did, the Bible says this. You got to read this on your own. Time won't allow me to go to the text. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. The Bible says that they were sounding on trumpets worshiping and you know how many were worshiping god on trumpets 120 were worshiping and when they were worshiping on trumpets and singing and praising god the 120 priests then the presence of god came into the house of god so much that the priest could not stand to even do his ministry because the house was filled with the glory of god and you say, Pastor, why is that significant? Because years later, on the day of Pentecost, 120 others were worshiping God when the presence of God, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Filled the room and filled the house with the presence of God. So Solomon then is now king. He's coronated and he's now dedicated the house of God. And he said, and he experienced the presence of God and he melted like wax in the presence of God. And so will you. 
when you really experience the presence of his glory. It will change your life. And so, a few days later, Solomon's praying. And in his prayer, God speaks to him. I would like to go to that passage if we can, Phil. I believe it's 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And let's read for just a moment of time. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and I have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. 16th verse, if we can. And for now I have chosen and I have sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. So what God was telling Israel, he said, I've traveled with you in the tabernacle. It was mobile. It's a new day. Now I'm going to be right here in the temple. And he said, I'm going to create for you an avenue where you could come and worship. And so all of Israel was required to come. All the males were required to come at least three times a year. But if you live closer, you come all the time. Isaiah said his house would be called a house of prayer for all people. What a privilege it was to join your voice with the combined collective voices of the Levites, the trumpeters and the singers and the worshipers, and to be able to exalt the name of God, to be able to know that your transgressions were forgiven, that God was a merciful God and you had access to his presence. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And so it was a, it was a tremendous thing, but we know the story of ancient Israel because of apostasy. That very temple that they dedicated was destroyed. You're familiar with the story? And he's frustrated with that temple. He's frustrated with that temple because why? Because they made it a den of thieves. And he said it ought to be a house of prayer for all people. People ought to have access to the presence of God. People ought to be able to come and hear the word of God. It shouldn't become a house of merchandise. Remember, he busted open the cages that held the, 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 the doves. And he, and he untied the cords that held the lambs. And he overthrew those tables. And he said, make not my father's house a house of merchandise, but let it be a house of prayer. He had a zeal. He even told them, he said, but he also was about to start a revolution because he said this to those Jews and they didn't understand it. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will build it again. And they said, what do you mean? Forty and six years was this temple in building. You will raise it up again. But the Bible says he spake about the temple of his body because there was a transition for the people of God that was taking place. Because God was doing something so new, so relevant, so powerful in the earth that one building could no longer be called the house of God. God was doing something beyond just the four-walled concrete walls of a, of a building called the temple in ancient Jerusalem. God was doing something so great, so grand, that all men everywhere would have the, uh, the means and the access points where they could come to God. God was tearing down the veil that separated in the holy place to allow his presence to permeate into the lives of his people. Are y'all hearing me today? Is that rain? Somebody said we're in revival right now. Come on, we're in revival. Thank you, Lord, for the rain. I receive it in Jesus' name. I didn't know it was going to rain today, but I celebrate it. I'm not through. Y'all got to stay with me for just a few moments more. And so here we are. I've taken you through a brief overview of the tabernacle and the temple, its destruction. And now here we are. It was destroyed again in 70 AD, and it's no longer there. If you go to that very mountain that David offered sacrifice on, you know what you'll find today? You'll find the golden dome of the rock, a Muslim shrine. And I'm here to tell you, God does not dwell in that Muslim shrine. But Peter said this, God was building a spiritual house. A spiritual house. What does that mean? That means that God no longer dwells in temples made by hand. But God dwells in the hearts and the lives of his children. Come on, he does. How many of you know we are the temple of the Most High God? I mean, no, God dwells right here. 
Come on, this is that holy of holies. He sits in our heart. He's filled our heart with his grace, his presence, his power, and his goodness. He sent his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We celebrate who he is. Come on, somebody. And so we live our lives to his glory. But let me say this as I begin to close, where my heart is in this context just very quickly. There's still, despite the fact that God has not chosen one place where he abides as his abiding presence, but he chooses the hearts of all children that know him and love him, Whenever we come together, we become the house of God. Amen. We become the church of God. We become the temple of God. So again, fire could destroy this building overnight. And you and I could go and find a vacant building here in Heber Springs that wasn't anything but a warehouse. But the moment we get in there, And the moment we strike the first chord, and the moment you begin to pray, we suddenly become the house of God. It becomes the abiding presence of Almighty God for that brief moment in time. The glory and the power and the presence of God is still available to all of God's children. Now we're a generation of priests. Now we're not dependent upon just one priest or a Levite. All of you can offer up spiritual sacrifices. All of you are, are, gifted, are gifted by God, and God's accepted all of us. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we still have leaders. We still have pastors and those that encourage us and instruct us and help shepherd us. Does that make sense? Yes. So Paul was writing. He said, if I could come to you, I could be there quickly. But if I'm delayed, I'm writing so that you'll know how you need to behave yourself in the house of God. So let me transition this message and get ready to bring it to a close in its final point where my heart is where I'm concerned. For our church, and I'm concerned not just for our church, but I'm speaking this out of a pastor's heart today, hopefully with a prophetical unction behind it. And that is that same spirit that Moses warned the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 12. If we're not careful, we're going to see it replicated right here in our generation. Moses told Israel, God's going to give you a place. His presence is going to abide, but you've got to be careful. You can't do everything according to the dictates of your own eyes. Just very quickly from a pastor who loves you and just wants to encourage you today. This is not beat up on the sheep today, but let me tell you what we've got to do as a collective body of believers, a collective body. We've got to value coming to the house of God again. Now, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? We've got to value this moment that God's given us. In the letter that I'm sending to you, I made this statement right here. It seems as if we have time for everything but church. Did you know on any given Sunday, one-third or one-fourth to one-third of our fellowship is not here? Now, I'm saying that everybody's got things they have to do. I understand that. I don't come up here. Everybody's got a vacation to take. Everybody's got a family member that came in, and you didn't know they was coming, and you got sidetracked. I understand all those things. But I'm telling you, we never reach our full potential because we never maximize this moment that God's given us. Just think of what there is way too much beige looking at me here this morning. At any given... Now, think about that for a moment of time. What if one-third of the army didn't show up tomorrow morning? What if one-third of your workforce didn't show up tomorrow? And you, if you were a leader, you were a supervisor, and you, had no, you didn't even know where they were at. And you're like, how can I count on you? So I've come to challenge you today. God still has a principle that's still alive today. That principle is there is merit and value on collective worship. He said in Hebrews 10 and 25, I know you're familiar with it. It says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. I don't ever want to become that pastor that's criticizing and belittling and, and, and doing anything about the people of God in that sense. But I want to be the pastor that does challenge you. Challenge you. 
to value this moment and to seek this opportunity that God has given us because it's a great moment and we need to seize it and embrace his presence in our lives. Can I close today by sharing just a couple of things in dismissal today? I'm going to ask if I would in a moment of time, but not just yet, Daryl, to come back to the platform, but not just yet. And I am closing. I know you don't believe me, but I'm promising you this real quickly. Let me say this. I want to just read this real quickly. It's something that I pinned down. Here's what our church needs right now. I prayed about this as the pastor. You know what we need? We need renewed commitment to faithfulness to attend worship. You say, well, pastor, I'm here every Sunday. Well, you say, well, you, so you're not preaching? Yes, I am. Because if you're not careful, that same spirit can come over you too. I encourage you. I'm encouraging you. Guard your heart. This is not about you judging who's here or not here. This is just about you saying, God, I want to value the sacred moment of corporate worship. Because I'm telling you, it can be a defining moment in your life. When you connect to the heart of a church family and you become more than an attendee to church, your life will become revolutionized by the power of God's grace. Are y'all hearing me today? Number two, just real quickly, we need renewed accountability to God and to each other. Let me tell you, if you have erratic church attendance, if you do, and what I mean by that is, I don't, again, let me say this. Y'all know Pastor Brown's heart. I'm not saying this to be ugly to anybody. That's just not who I am. Hello? Amen. Somebody needs the gift that you possess. Somebody needs you to hold their hand at the altar. Somebody needs you to give them a handshake or a hug and encourage them. And so you've got to learn that when you're coming to God's house, you're not just coming to be ministered to. You're coming to minister. You're a minister. You're a servant of God. You've got responsibility here. Come on. And I want to encourage you in Jesus' name. Take that personal responsibility so that you will not leave your seat unattended. Come on. Number three, we need renewed value and appreciation and, su- and submission to godly leaders who watch for your souls. Oh, Lord. Well, thank you all. Thank you for that, you know. Thank you, Lord, for strengthening me. I will not be shaken. Lord, send the word. I will not be shaken. Say what you like. Everybody needs a pastor. I'm telling you, if Billy Graham was here in the front row, I'd say Billy needs a pastor. Everybody needs somebody who's watching for their soul. Renewed respect to the values and the traditions of our spiritual predecessors. Men and women labored in this valley long before we did. Come on. Men and women labored. They prayed. They called upon the name of God. And we need to respect and value what they've given us. They've given us a privileged opportunity to be the best that God's called us to be and to allow people to experience his presence. The power of corporate worship can be one of the greatest moments in your life of shaping you into the person God's called you to be. Is that right? So today I want to ask every person to stand here today.